Was anybody looking for the, what do we call it, dating and relationships one? Yeah. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Excited. Who knew there was going to be this many people in this big, this little room? So we're excited that you guys want to talk about all things love, dating, relationships. It's going to be a ride. It's probably the only way to describe it. And so we're going to jump in here. My name is Casey Widner. I'm, I'm Steven. Stephen Woodner, Casey Woodner, wearing matching t-shirts. If you really notice, we're wearing the same outfit that we had on in our picture for this breakout. So, could have taken today, could have taken three weeks ago, who knows? We just want to welcome you guys. We're really excited when we got asked to do this topic. We were like, wow, we eat, sleep, and breathe this kind of stuff. When you work together and you're married and you're both full-time, you kind of have to master the dating and relationships. So, we're going to start kind of with our own personal stories really quick. And then how we met, a little bit about us. Would someone shut the door in the back, please? Then we'll shame all the latecomers. Just kidding, we don't like that. Oh, you guys don't see that. Everybody's going to turn and look at them. All right. We're, we're going to dive in. I'm going to pray before we start because keep talking. Okay. God, we just thank you so much that we get to talk about something very near and dear to your heart. God, we know marriage is not the goal of our Christian walk, uh, neither is dating God, but for those of us that you have that in our plan, which I think we all hope is us, God, we just give that to you. I pray that um, we have soft hearts today for conviction, um, but also hearts that aren't afraid to dream about what you might have for us in the future and what you might have for us now, God. So we just give it to you. We pray that your presence would be in this place. We love you. Amen. 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 So uh, we, I met Casey in the fall of 2013. Yes, that was a while ago. Um, we're from 2012. Yes, 2012. Wrong. I was wondering. Started dating in 2013, but I'll get to that in a second. Casey ran with a posse of girls in Chi Alpha uh, that um, always came in late, okay? Like five girls, and the meeting opener was up there doing announcements, and these five girls would be laughing, ha, 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 you know, and walk right in front of him every single week. And so I'd be sitting in, in the in the crowd of Kyalfians, and I'd be like, who is this girl? She's kind of cute. I should get to know her. And over the course of time, um, I saw Casey at all the game nights and all the Kyalfa events and everything. Obviously, we were both very involved. Um, and so... Over time, I, I'm not, we're not going to share the whole story because that'd take up the whole breakout. Um, but she was dating somebody. Praise God, they broke up. <laughs> that was another small group leader. Um, I knew him. He's awesome. But they broke up. And then um, I, I, I swooped in and I started uh, texting and calling her every day. And then, uh, and then a few weeks later, we went on our first date to a coffee shop. I hate coffee. Um, but I heard that she liked coffee. Um, where's all my guys that hate coffee but would go get coffee with a girl? Yeah. And it was at a Barnes and Noble, actually. Okay. And so, so that was that was the beginning of our relationship. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about the rest, but um, we've been happily married since December 19th, 2014. So we just celebrated eight years. We, we co-direct, as Casey mentioned, we co-direct Chi Alpha in Tampa at USF. Awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're also going to go places today. I'll start this by saying we obviously don't have all the answers, uh, 
but we like to think that there's a way that God designed us to do things, and then there's also some wiggle room with our own choices. And so we're going to kind of talk about both of those today, but the reason this topic is so... Can you guys hear us in the back? Okay. Yeah. I'll just talk loud. No one's ever accused me of not talking loudly, so I'll just talk really loud. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, we're going to talk about, just share, I'm going to share a little brief version of my life story, and he's going to, because if you're anything like me, this idea of godly dating, like you can have a godly spouse, is like mind-blowing, and they can be like super good-looking and read their Bible. Like, I mean, it was mind-blowing. I felt like growing up, I had to pick one or the other. Y'all know what I mean, right? And so I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My uh, parents, I knew, were living together before they were, they were married. I knew that they were living this kind of life. I have two half-siblings, um, not from a previous marriage, as we like to say, just my dad was a young man and made a lot of decisions. And my half-siblings have kids outside, had kids outside of wedlock. Actually, my older sister has four kids with four different guys. And so it's a really complicated story. I have a twin sister. I knew what she was doing in high school. And I was kind of in between. I had a lot of morality, but no Christian background. And so from a young age, I was exposed. Uh, we're going to go there, right? So I was exposed to pornography when I was like seven. I grew up with porn magazines in the bathroom in my house. Like I would get the mail and the Playboy magazine would come in the mail. And I would just see it. And so kind of this hyper-sexual, secular non-Christian environment. Nobody in my family has ever been a Christian. Any, like, first Christians in your family? Let's go, you guys are legacy changers. I can't talk about it. I'll talk too much, but it's powerful. I guess he was talking about the fact that somebody has to change it. I was like, I'm not a fourth-generation Pentecostal preacher, but I will be the start of the fourth-generation Pentecostal preacher. So, let's go. Anyway, that could preach for days, but that's why godly marriage matters, too. And so, all of that to say, I got my first relationship, not a godly dude, Actually, I found out later that his, he was from a Mormon family, but a very secular Mormon family, which was interesting. I um, started making a lot of decisions that I shouldn't have done when I was 15 years old. Found myself in this sexual relationship, semi-abusive as well, not a great place to be. He exposed me to a lot of things, and I remember having this moment of like, God, am I going to regret doing these things with this guy? No, I'm in love. I'm 15. I was 14, going on 15, um, and it just kind of set this trajectory for what I thought my life was going to be. And somewhere in the middle of that, I had a friend invite me to a youth conference, I guess. I was 15, and the church, my parents were so against religion that they wouldn't even pay for me to go. So the church paid for me to go, forever thankful. They're a little church in Minnesota that still actually supports us, a part of the church supports us today, which is cool. And so I'm at this conference, and there's a breakout session, much like this, but there was 2,000 students at this breakout session, and on an abstinence, which is kind of an old word, people don't use a lot, still an option though, let's go, and she was talking about how she was getting married soon, and she was this wild lady, her name was Molly the cheese ball chick, and so she would have like, a cheese ball thing yeah. on her back, and like a spout, and you'd be like, come on, cheese and she would say, yeah, let me tell you Jesus, you know? And so it was great. She was a great youth speaker, right? It doesn't work around college, but it was great there. And so she's talking about how she's getting married soon. And she was waiting. Her and her husband were waiting to have sex until they were married. And I was blown away. I'm sitting in this room like, I know what all of these people are in my life. I know what I was doing two days ago, right? And I'm sitting here. People live like this? I'm shocked. <laughs> like, genuinely, I'd never heard that this was even a thing. And it just sounded fantastic. I was so miserable. Nobody I knew was happy in the relationships they had. Right? Divorce rates were skyrocketing, all these things. And so I said, I'm going to try this out. And it was actually in an abstinence seminar that I gave my, my little heart to Jesus when I was 15 years old and never looked back and went home and stopped doing everything with my boyfriend and said, there has to be a better way. 
That doesn't mean I didn't make mistakes. I didn't even know, just to be honest, I didn't even know that pornography and things that go with that were a sin until I got to Chi Alpha my freshman year because nobody talked about it. And so it's a secret thing. And so it wasn't until I got into Chi Alpha that I experienced a lot of freedom and started to think about the fact of how God can do something totally different and I know that I want something different for my life than I've seen everybody around me do. So that's a little bit about my story, why it's passionate to me. Um, I couldn't get anyone to date me when I was in high school. So <laughs> True story. I tried and I tried and I tried. Uh, no, don't be sorry for me. Um, some of it was of my own doing. But anyway, uh, you know, I was just a typical high school guy. I was super into football, um, you know, and, and girls real and um, went went through high school um, you know I played basketball and football and track and all that kind of stuff um, and then when I got to college at NDSU the same school Casey I went to that's where we met uh, I was playing college football there and um, it just wasn't working out and through a cataclysm of events um, a bunch of people invited me to Chi Alpha and uh, I had never experienced anything like it you know it's 300 people in a room it's a movie theater on campus and a guy gets up there and literally shares his testimony about how Jesus saved him from a lifestyle of, of he was literally in a rock band. So when I say drugs, sex, and rock and roll, that was literally his story. Uh, with skinny jeans on, everyone wore skinny jeans. I'm like, what's up with all the skinny jeans? And uh, the V-neck t-shirts, you know, what's up with this? He wore some deep V-neck, yeah. And uh, he had that punk, punk look, you know. But I was like, man, I've never had this kind of experience of church before. And so I went to small group. I went all year. About six months into that, being involved in Chi Alpha, um, I quit the team. And um, I was just in a crisis. Who am I? What am I doing with my life? Um, and uh, some people witnessed to me and, and led me to Jesus. Uh, in March in Johnson Hall 265 at North Dakota State University, I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, I've never been the same since. A month later, uh, in meeting up with my small group leader, he tells me about the Holy Spirit. My mom... Steve Pavic was my small group leader, which is super cool. Um, and uh, my mom always spoke in tongues growing up. I thought she was crazy. Uh, all of us thought she was crazy. He starts to explain this baptism of the spirit thing to me. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Next time I said, I want that. And uh, he prayed with me and I received a month later after I gave my life to Christ. And that was super awesome. And so that summer I went home just on fire, ready to reach my classmates from high school for Jesus. And I was a small group leader for four years. And then I met Casey, as I had mentioned, um, and we're going to take off now at this point. You ready to go, Casey? Like we said, we've been married for eight years. Um, obviously, our stories were very different. I came into our relationship with, like, a lot of baggage. My family's still a little crazy. We moved to Tampa three years ago, and my parents came with, and so we still navigate <laughs> some of this crazy stuff. Um, but we had, de we had determined in our relationship, uh, and no nobody I had dated, he had mentioned this, his boyfriend, and none of them had ever been like a godly relationship. There's a few of them. <laughs> I, I progressively made bad decisions until they got a little bit better, and then I was like, "This guy wants to go out on a date with me. I'm blown away." So muscles and Jesus, what can you do, right? You know, <laughs> set your standards low. I knew I only had so much time. <laughs> we just celebrated eight years, guys. It was a break, so. <laughs> Anyway, we knew that we had wanted to set the standard different in our families, and his family is very religious, traditional. traditional, so there were some of those expectations, but my family had never seen anybody do anything different. Like, he would come home on a weekend, and we, he would sleep on the couch. 
And they were like, he can sleep in your room. I don't want that, don't even say that. I don't want that for my life, I want something different. And we know that this area is not uncommon, right? This is probably the number one area where you wanna follow Jesus, you have all good intentions, the Holy Spirit's convicted you, and then somewhere along the way, this is the area where people make bad decisions. If you see friends five, 10 years after college, you have to pray that this isn't the area they compromise because they say it's too hard to do it the way that God wants it or it's too hard to wait for somebody who's going to respect the boundaries and the convictions that God has put in my heart. And it's not. And it, it, isn't, it, it is difficult sometimes, right? I mean, you're probably not going to find somebody on Tinder or Bumble that's actually genuinely wanting to do something. They say they do until you actually go on a date with them and then they're like, eh, right? But it's worth the wait because your marriage... If you get married someday, there's nothing like having a godly spouse and being able to do this. And so before we get into a godly spouse, though, I'm going to start with the first part of what we want to talk about, which is this idea of becoming the person you want to date. Because the reality is we all have these high expectations and dreams and hopes and prayers. Some of you might be like me. You pray specific things that you want God to give you someday. You're called to Africa. He's got to be called to Africa too, right? You, you have a heart for worship. Your dream is to lead worship alongside your spouse or whatever it is, right? And we have these expectations, but we sometimes forget to ask ourselves if we're the person that God wants us to become and the person that we want to marry or we want to be like someday. We need to model it. And so as people, I kind of like this image of being a puzzle. We're all kind of puzzles. Multiple things make up who we are. Our culture, our background, our experiences, our family, our interests, our hobbies, all of these things are puzzle pieces of our life. And sometimes along the way, due to bad things that happen to us or bad decisions that we make, we can give parts of these puzzle pieces away. When I was in these relationships with these guys where I was compromising my values, putting myself in position that I wasn't wanting to be in, I was giving away pieces of my puzzle and saying, oh, I don't need to be whole and complete. And as I gave those pieces away, or as these bad things happened to me, like I said in my story, a kid, all these compromising things, those pieces were taken from me as well. And it was part of walking and serving Jesus. First and foremost, we need, we need to know where those areas of lack are, and you will never be able to find a puzzle piece in another person that will fit that. And we say that all the time, but it is so hard when you're married to go to your spouse and say, I have this need, I have this desire, I, I need you to do this for me, I need you to be this person for me, and they're never going to be able to be enough for you. And so we have to let ourselves be completely whole and healed in the presence and person of Jesus first. Because if, if you're a whole person, then you can look and you start to know who else is a whole person. And I don't mean perfect. Those pieces get broken sometimes. We always have to go back to the person of Jesus and say, I need you to heal me again. These hard things happen. Seasons of life happen. But there are things we can do right off the bat to heal ourselves. I, he had mentioned this guy who was dating before him. He's in a godly marriage now, praise God. But at the time in his life, uh, he hadn't dealt with some of his family wounds. And so when he was very young, his mom had died of breast cancer. And so he was raised by a single dad. Um, that was kind of like a really tough situation, just kind of his dad was older too. And he took a lot of this insecurity and this lack of female love. Like he just didn't know how to interact with women as well because he didn't have his mom to teach him some of this stuff. And so he was very insecure and it rubbed off on me in this really negative way. He was in, he was insecure, he had lost like a bunch of weight, but he carried this around like, am I good enough yet? 
he was insecure, like, oh, is my hair look good? He would ask all these questions, and he would look to me to fill these needs. I, I was a freshman, by the way, and he was a senior in college, and so this was a bad, bad situation. He was about to graduate. He was pressuring me to get engaged young, to get engaged early, to move to Iowa with him, right? All these things. This godly guy, this small recruiter in Chi Alpha, just didn't know who he was, and he had this identity crisis, and so I learned a lot from that of seeing these broken pieces and, and being the person trying to be forced into them. I'm not going to fit this need. I am not able to heal you from what happened with your mom. I am not able to tell you that you were good enough, that you were confident enough, that you matter enough. You have to believe that in yourself because we'll never be able to be that for ourselves or for other people. And we can't look to other people to do that. Nobody wants to be forced into a puzzle piece that doesn't fit. You want to compliment two full pictures, two full people whole lives that come together and complement each other and run towards Jesus together, not always pulling each other back to one Yeah, because what, what a lot of a lot of times in our culture what we're taught is um, I need someone to complete me. Right? And biblically, that's not biblical. Jesus is what completes us. And we need to become complete and whole in him first. So it's not two halves making a whole, it's two whole people making a marriage. It's eventually, right? And so so this is kind of one of the predicaments we have. Yeah. Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah 61.1 says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners. This is describing the person of Jesus. If you, you probably know that. If you've seen the new Chosen episode... He has this whole moment with it, too. Let's go. It's super cool. Jesus is sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free. Let this be a prayer. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know if this is you. You know if there are unhealed areas in your heart. It's okay. And I'm not even saying you have to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But we have an obligation as people of God to take that to Jesus and say, I need to be made whole my family someday, if you want to raise kids, if you want to go move across the world, you want to go across the country, even if you're missions or marketplace, whatever, you need to be a whole person because those things are hard. You never know what life's going to throw at you. So you need to be the best version of yourself for Jesus. And then if you have a spouse someday, we owe that to our spouse to be the best version of ourselves we can be. The second one is we want, I want to just briefly mention on becoming the one or being the person you want to marry. A lot of people, when we're younger, have lists of things we want. And some of them are really good, noble things. You know, spirit-led, living the gospel out, making disciples, worshiping Jesus, these really beautiful things. And then sometimes we have things where you're, I mean, I'd be cool if that happened. It'd be yeah. really cool if you played guitar, if she did this. It'd be really cool if we had the same calling in life, like career-wise or something. It'd be really cool. And we have to ask ourselves when we look at those lists or the things that you know you desperately want or need in a spouse someday, you have to ask, am I the person that I want to marry someday? Because somebody else is looking at you or dreaming about you, maybe even praying for you without knowing it's you, asking, God, make this person the person that is going to be perfect for me someday. And I'm not saying I believe in soulmates, definitely not. But you have no idea when you pray about your future spouse. And if you're not praying about your future spouse, you should be praying about your future spouse. Because if you want one, you should be sowing into things. God, I pray that you protect. This is good for ladies to pray too. Men, of course, can pray this. But like, ladies, pray that your future husband would be protected from 
from pornography, from lust. That's a really hard thing. For, not that women don't struggle, too. You can pray that for your future wife. But pray that, that he would be a man of God that has qualities to lead his family someday. Pray that she would be somebody who steps out of her comfort zone and is obedient. Like, pray these things to your spouse someday. And then watch as God begins to mold you and make you a perfect counterpart for that person. One of my prayers is, God, please don't give me someone that's boring. <laughs> and uh, he answered that prayer very mightily. Um, no, but on the soulmate thing, okay, I'm going to hear, I'm going to burst the bubble in this place right now. Are you guys ready? It's not real. There is no such thing as a soulmate. That is a Disney construction, a Hallmark construction. Okay? Back in the biblical times, marriages were arranged. You had to commit to somebody, even if you didn't always feel like it. And so in our culture and our society, we're taught that this person, again, has to complete me. And we have to mesh on all these levels. And if they don't mesh with me, they, they don't meet my needs, divorce. Mm. And it's toxic, right? It's lack of commitment, right? It's not biblical, right? And so the soulmate thing, don't have that paradigm. It's okay to look for someone that compliments you, right? But but I just, I just had to throw that out there. That's good. That's really good. The thought on that one, too, just to add, is this is why missionary dating, you guys know that term, dating somebody with the hopes that they will become a Christian is so bad. If you're a small group leader, you've probably had somebody in your small group do this. Don't do that. Somebody's always going to win, and it's not always the Christian, right, because there's a lot pulling. And so if you're here, I know you have a, you might have, a, that might be you, that might be your story. Well, my boyfriend's kind of a Christian, or my girlfriend, she's open to coming to church. That is not a devout follower of Jesus. You have to be able to distinguish the difference because your future matters, right? If you hope to have kids someday, all the women that want to be moms, the men that want to be dads, who's going to win that battle in your home someday if your spouse is not a Christian? Think about that. It's a scary thought. Being married for eight years, I couldn't imagine not being in agreement. Who wants to sleep in for church on Sunday? You or your spouse? On and on it can go. Do we prioritize tithing? Do we prioritize missions? Do we prioritize serving in the local church? Do we prioritize having people in our home making disciples? Your life goes beyond Kyofa, right? You exist outside of Kyofa someday. Think about a spouse in that context, too. Don't missionary date. It's just not. It's not going to end well. And you don't want to accidentally be the reason that somebody gives their life to Jesus because then they'll rise and fall on you. Not that you don't want to be the reason. I didn't even say that way. What I mean is you don't want to be their sole reason for giving their life to Jesus, mm -hmm. right? We can't win. People aren't saved by our charisma in our own walk with the Lord. It has to be from faith. The last thing I want to mention here is uh, just some things to consider when you're thinking about dating. Uh, life direction, I had said it kind of, but if you're, I'm called, I know people, I am, I, I want to be a missionary to China my whole life. Right? Some of you have that strong burning passion, or I want to be a doctor, and I know exactly what kind of doctor I want to be. I want to be an anesthesiologist or whatever it is. These are extreme things, and not everybody fits into those careers, and it is unfair to ask somebody to lay down their dream if that's where the Lord is leading them. And that's okay, but you have to be able to know yourself well enough to say, is this a good thing? If you have a dream to be a stay-at-home mom, Marry somebody that wants you to be a stay-at-home mom. Otherwise, you're going to have tension someday. I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to have kids, but I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. So I, we do agree. If we have kids, 
like, babe, it's 100, 100. You're going to stay home on, you know, Wednesdays. I'm going to stay home on Thursdays, right? Like, we raise these kids together. But that's not everybody's dreams. Some people have different dreams. And so whatever it is, there's not good or bad. And be careful not to ascribe morality to the dreams that people have. Oh, his calling didn't match mine. Say, hey, that's so cool that that's where God is leading you. And I think that maybe this isn't the right fit for our relationship. And trust that God is somebody else. Uh, family preference is another big one. If you were a freshman and you know that you cannot get married until after you graduate from medical school, it is a really bad idea to start a, a serious relationship when you are 18 years old. Or if you know that your parents don't want you to get married until you graduate, just be cautious how much time, and we're going to talk about gas pedals in a minute, but how you're living that relationship. Because I've known so many friends. Because one of three things will happen, which we'll talk about in a minute. In a relationship, you will either get married, break up, or fall into premarital sex. And you have to know how to pace those things and the timing of those. And you don't want to do the third one. And you probably don't want to break up if you're really into the person. And so just being aware of your family preferences. Our family was really chill, so we got married actually pretty young. I asked her dad for her hand. And I was like, hey, can I marry your daughter? This is like a year until stating, right? And I was like, I had a year left of college, and I'm getting ready to get engaged for a year, you know, and then marry when I'm done with college. And he said, don't ask me. You have to ask her. And I said, well, obviously, family preference here is pretty relaxed. Absolutely. But not everybody's like that. And so just respecting your significant other. It's going to be a good term for getting lost in there. Um, another one is a personal purity or holiness. I don't, I don't want purity to just ascribe to sexual purity, although that's kind of what I'm talking about. In this sense, the purity goes way beyond just sexual purity, purity of heart, purity of mind, etc. But in this one, if you are struggling, and I say this from love, but if you are struggling with a sexual addiction where you have only been free from like, pornography for one week, just give yourself space. We've walked with friends, <clears throat> multiple friends who have either had a spouse fall into pornography during their marriage. I'm talking Kyle, but love that guys. Or go so far as to have fears. I have a dear friend from college right now that's actually going through a divorce. And her husband is all over the place. And it was a classic unequally yoked situation. And there's some immorality going on. And his high school or his college roommate, you know, we can tell stories is walking away from the Lord, having an affair with a lot of different things going on, right? And so if you want to live a life where your marriage is sacred, because you have to remember when you get married, you don't just stop getting tempted, right? Like sexual temptation doesn't go away. People think that when you're married, you can have sex all the time and you're never tempted ever again and nothing will ever happen. Like purity is a lifestyle, not just not having sex yes. until you're married, right? So if you practice a habit of personal purity, personal conviction. I'm not going to watch these things with sex in them. I'm not going to look at pornography. I'm not going to struggle with masturbation. I'm not going to be alone in a room with other men that I'm in a bad situation that I shouldn't be with or women that could fall into this situation. I'm not going to listen to these things or read these things that provoke things. You will be set up for success if you have a zero tolerance for this in your life. It's biblical and it's also practical. <laughs> like the Lord didn't give this as a rule because it's like he's the fun police. It protects us. Nothing will steal puzzle pieces more from you than falling into sexual sin because you can't get those those special moments back. And if you can tell, um, as Casey mentioned, she grew up in an environment that had no boundaries with anything I know. <laughs> I was in the conversations I was there. And so when she says this, it's because she's lived it. 
She's experienced it. And, and I would dare to say sometimes in the church, we are way, um, what's the word? Um, we put up with impurity in our lives. We give ourselves excuses, right? Now, amen. Praise God for grace. Amen. I mean, come on. How many of you are thankful for God's grace? I mean, I would not be here without God's grace. I have fallen so many times in my life. And if that's you and you've fallen, God is there to pick you up. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. Your story is, is, is nowhere near over, okay? And so fight the good fight, okay? We're trying to give you hope, right? And so this isn't meant to be condemning in any way. This is meant to empower you to say enough's enough, and, 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 and I want to live holy for my future. There is so much freedom in Jesus, and it's never too late to, to get right. And you just have to change your mindset from – not from go from stop sinning to man the word this matters to God and I want to please Jesus that's the difference between commitment and conviction I think Steve Pavlik said it in his breakout yesterday it was so good so it's worth repeating he said that a commitment is when the infrastructure and the system around you holds you accountable right it's really easy to walk Impurity when your small group leader asks you once a week, how are you doing in your relationship with your boyfriend? My small group or one of my leaders asks me all the time, how is your engagement with Stephen? Are you guys practicing good boundaries? And I knew she was going to ask me. And sometimes that was enough. He was like a real cute. And I was like, oh, Sarah is going to ask me, right? That's commitment. And it has to go from a place of to conviction where you say, no matter what the cost, I burn from the inside out that I want this as a lifestyle. And living a life of sexual integrity and purity is so much fun. It maybe doesn't sound fun, but it is so much fun. So we got to keep going. And the last thing I'll say on this one is just examining your own selflessness and maturity level. You're the only person who can judge that. But when you get into a relationship, it really tests your level of selfishness. And so asking, am I willing to carve out time for this person? Am I willing to put their needs above my own? That doesn't just start when you get married. That starts when you're in a relationship. If you're ready to be in a dating relationship that is headed towards marriage, which is the only purpose of dating, by the way, is to examine. Not that we take it too seriously. We will talk about not taking it too seriously. But you have to have that in your mind. Is this somebody I would marry? Not just, oh, this is fun. He's not who I want to be with someday. So just asking, am I... Selfish, selflessness, selfless enough and mature enough to handle a dating relationship. And if the answer is no, that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Just say, hey, I need to work on a few things first. Okay, the third thing I'm going to jump in and then he's going to go the other direction is this, mm -hmm. I, this idea of gas pedals in your life. This revolutionized how we do our dating relationship. Gas pedals. You want to write that down? It's really gas important. Pedals. We still talk about it all the time with everybody around us. So ask yourself, what's the goal of a godly dating relationship? To glorify Jesus, to walk in holiness, not just sexual holiness, but holiness, and get married or get out. Say that one more time. Glorify Jesus, walk in holiness, and get married or get out. Or get out. Did you know that marriage is the reflection of Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church? Marriage is not meant to be taken lightly. Dating is not meant to be taken lightly. We reflect the image of the church and the bridegroom coming back to us. How beautiful. So the three gas pedals you need to ask yourself is, or the three, not ask yourself, the three gas pedals, and then I'm going to expound. It's physical touch, prayer, surprising, I know, and time spent together. Physical touch, prayer, and time spent together. Decide before you get into a relationship 
that you want to build your fence in the pasture and not on the cliff. Come on. Too many people play with fire. Yeah. They light a campfire and they put their tent right next to it. And they just hope it doesn't catch on fire. Don't do that. Decide that if this is if this is as far as I'm willing to go, I'm going to build it right here. Because if you fall over the other side, you land in a nice soft place. Yes. If you build it too far to the cliff, you fall. And the fall is hard. And it's painful. And you can't undo the fall. So think about that. So the first one, physical touch. You have to ask yourself, how much is appropriate in a dating relationship? And that's probably what you're wondering. Sitting here, I'm in a relationship. How do I navigate this? And at the end of the day, there's not a clear uh, limitation in the Bible. The Bible does say in... Where did I write it down? I didn't write down. Uh, the Bible's clear multiple times that sexual morality is forbidden. Sex outside of marriage, which is called fornication in the Bible, if you've ever seen that word. And then adultery, that's having an extramarital affair. Um, and all kinds, anything regarding sexual morality is forbidden. And so how do you know if physical touch is too much? If it's stirring up things that it probably shouldn't be stirring up. That doesn't mean butterflies and your heart beats fast. And your right. It's funny. Right. Because he's so cute, right? Yeah. But it does mean, hey, I'm feeling a little too excited right now. Uh, you should probably go sit on the other couch. Okay, real real talk. Um, there was a few moments. Okay, so when you're really into somebody, like I was, in, I was into Casey, okay? Like six to seven months in, you know, things are getting serious and stuff. Casey would do things. She would look at me a certain way when we were watching a movie or something. She'd just be in herself. <laughs> And and she you know and she'd be so cute. I'd have to step out of the room sometimes. <laughs> no, real talk. Like like I had to sometimes be on my guard, you know, because you, sometimes you have to take necessary steps. Another thing we did, and I think we're gonna talk more about this later, but we wouldn't be together past a certain time. We would be together past a certain time because we what would we say? Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah, or, yeah, it's like 11 or midnight or something like that. So we, we put some rules in place to help ourselves out, right? Uh, and we'll talk more about that. Yeah. It's very true, though. Texting at 1 in the morning, you ain't got nothing to talk about at 1 in the morning. Go to bed, you know? And I, I, I go so far as to say, if a guy or a gal wants to guard your heart, they will not text you at 1 in the morning unless the house is on fire or somebody's dying. There's just no reason. I'm not talking about insult when you're like, are you back in the hotel safe? I'm not talking about that. Talking, you got class at 8 a.m., he's got to work at 7 a.m. Y'all should be in bed, not texting at 1 in the morning. It just doesn't do good to guard your heart and your mind and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Okay, so physical touch. What does this mean? You can do. That's totally up to you, and you have to decide as yourself how much is too much? I'm not a super physical touch person. Uh, if you ever see him try to help me, I usually like pull away and then I have to remember that he is. And so I don't overly love that kind of stuff. Um, but he is. And so we had to be very mindful how much was good, how much was bad. Uh, and keeping in mind that until you're married to somebody, they don't, they're not your other half. And so we always had the rule of thumb that would say, and not that we did everything perfect, because we did. all the time. If you're not married to them, then they're not yours. If they're not married to them, they're not yours. And so you have to ask yourself, if we break up, okay, you know, make it real practical. Like your best friend. My, he went on a date with my best friend before we started dating, right? Like my, we just saw them a week and a half ago, like my best friend. Crazy. There's a story there. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it's not, it's not awkward at all. It's actually really funny. 
Let's go to somewhere else with this. Um, in the Kyle we were a part of 
the vision statement was this, and, and we've kind of adopted it. This is our USF vision statement, and, and it's like this. After graduating, five years after graduation, our alumni will be people who prioritize godly relationships. So notice how we didn't just put marriage. They, they, some of these principles apply to obviously dating, right? But just relationships. Prioritize godly relationships. Spend daily time in prayer in the word. Members of a spirit-filled church with their finances in order, impacting their friends, families, and workplace for Jesus. So that really encapsulates. So to have godly relationships, man, we have to talk about dating and relationships, right? So every year in our Chi Alpha, we cover this. We do a two-part series during Valentine's Day uh, where we talk about some of these principles. Um, and so I want to uh, just kind of keep going here. We're going to go to point number four. We're going to talk about dating specifics a little bit more. So the fourth thing here is we hinted on it, but they're not yours until you say, I do. They're not yours until you say, I do. First Timothy 5, 1 through 3. We read the NIV in our Chi Alpha. You're not Chi Alpha without no skin. First Timothy 5, 1 through 3. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. One of the convictions the Lord's put in my life is to treat older women as mothers and treat younger women as sisters. My question to you is how does that change your paradigm when it comes to dating? How does that change your paradigm when it comes to your friends, to your church? If you put that into practice. And until, so until you marry them, it's, it's potentially someone else's spouse. I was dating a girl named Amber Crocksroot. It's a long story my sophomore year. I didn't actually have that many girlfriends in college. No one dated me in high school, but then there was some interest in college. Praise God. Um, <laughs> and it ended up really well. Um, but a girl named Amber Crocksroot, she was a small group leader in Chi Alpha, and we dated for about three months. And it was a godly relationship. Praise God. We, we, we hung out together. We just mutually agreed after three months, like, hey, you know, I don't think this is working out, but can we stay friends? And we stayed friends, and it was beautiful. And a few years after graduation, it was so cool, you guys, because she sent me a long uh, Insta message. Um, and she, what do you call it, DM? She sent me a long DM. She says, she basically summarized this. Thank you so much for how you treated me with dignity in our relationship and how we broke up and how we stayed friends because it, it helped me as I moved forward to the rest of my life. And I was like, man, praise God. Because I wouldn't have done that when I was in high school, right? Praise God for how we can treat uh, the others around us. And so there's a bunch of cultural misnomers, right? From music, movies, rock, rap, all of it, right? That we need to live together first. We need to try this out. We need to see if we're compatible. We need to move in together first. We need to test the car, right? And, and, and back in the day, people people used to get married earlier. My mom got married when she was 18. My grandma got married when she was 18. It was more culturally accepted back in the day, right? But now in our culture, it's changed. Now you gotta wait to get married till once you're done with college. Now you gotta wait now until you're in your 30s. Who knows what it's when you're in your 40s, right? God forbid. <laughs> meaning, meaning, listen to me, we have to space out our dating relationships much longer, don't we? 
If you're genuinely interested in someone at a young age, and, and you have to wait to get married because of some family preference or some, your financial situation or something, that means you have to date longer or, or wait to date or something, right? So, so there's relationships now, and maybe you're in this boat where it's six, seven years before you're getting married, especially if it's a high school sweetheart. Come on, somebody. Anyone have a high school sweetheart? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to bear somebody. But since people used to get married earlier, they didn't have to wait as long. And so in some senses, guys, it's gotten harder. It's hard. Say your, it, it, I would say, say your neighbor, Pat. Say, We're not going to go that. Say your neighbor. Say, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to pace out a relationship for years. I have some biblical thoughts on that. But that's the way our culture is now, right? And so to prolong our dating relationship, we have to be really wise in how we progress through our relationship, as you mentioned, not doing everything too quickly. Because there should be a relationship progression. If you've never heard of that, a relationship progression where you're going somewhere in a relationship. Kissing, hugging for a long time, cuddling, staying for long hours, all at the beginning of a relationship, like all the movies and the music tell us, there's no progression. You're not going somewhere. It takes the sweetness out of those moments in your dating relationship. It robs you of a process that's meant to be beautiful. Back in the day, they called it courting. How many of you heard that, heard that word before, courting? Yeah, buying gifts, going to the roller rink. We went to the roller rink. She's an amazing rollerblader. I suck. Um, we had so much fun. He, would, he, would, he was so upset. Because he was bad at it, and he quit, and he would just sit on the bench and watch. Oh, so we don't go that way. Listen to this quote from John Cooper of Skillet. He has a lot of good stuff to say. This world right now is being run by secular elite people. Celebrities tell you how to find happiness by being your truest, authentic self and encourage you to divorce yourself from the limitations of Christianity and divorce yourself from the chains of the Bible. Cooper told concert goers, what they really want is a sexual revolution so that you can finally be free and you can turn your back on Jesus and all the stuff that he demands. The problem is they believe that Jesus will take your freedom away. What they don't understand is that they are actually slaves to sin. What we don't understand is that true freedom is found in Christ who came so that we can be set free from sin and death. Come on, somebody. It is time for, for us young people to tell those celebrities, atheists, and deconstructing Christians that we are not listening to you anymore. The blood of Jesus sets me free, and who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we can't unwrap the gifts in our dating relationship too soon. Because until you marry someone else's girl, dating isn't for sex. Conviction versus convenience, which Casey mentioned. I'm going to skip past that. Now, I want to mention that the purity thing. Casey alluded to there's more than just sexual purity. I want to bring one to your attention. Emotional purity. Emotional purity. Physical purity. Emotional purity. When, um, was it nine months into our relationship, we finally shared our life story with each other. We were kind of counseled in Kai Alpha by our mentors to wait on that because it'll bring... Um, some certain emotional intimacy. And, and, and so, but when we share our story with each other is at Tea Berry, um, it's a boba place. We really like boba. 
And so we went to T-Berry and we shared our story with each other and it brought a certain amount of emotional intimacy. And I just want to tell you guys a guardrail that you need to have in your relationship is, is, is when to share things. Perhaps consider this, don't share too much about yourself too quickly. Again, think about a relationship progression, right? In the beginning of your dating relationship, what should you be doing? Getting to know this person, having fun, you know, don't take it too seriously right away. We hear all these stories all the time, all these people in their, their second week of dating and they're already planning their wedding date and they're planning like their, their, their next like year of dating. And it's like, oh my gosh, like relax, like have some fun, go out to eat, get some ice cream, right? And so there should be a progression and just be careful how much you share. Because if you share too much too quickly, you'll become attached. And I'm gonna talk to you ladies for a second. Emotional intimacy is in some senses, like for you, how physical intimacy is for men. I am making a generalization here. It's not true for everybody. But emotional connection and intimacy, especially through conversation, especially through opening up and sharing things, is really important to my wife. And it's and, and, and so we just need to be careful. You guys following me? Mm-hmm. About what we share, and there should be a progression. Okay, this, the, the fifth thing. Dating should still be fun. Turn your name and say fun. 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 Don't be too serious. Saying yes to coffee doesn't mean you're saying yes to marriage. Don't ask, is this the person I want to marry week one? It's too early. You don't know enough yet. Maybe ask yourself a few months, you know, a month or two in, but you're not going to know enough for week one. Unless you've known this person for a while, you'll maybe know some more information. You might know a few, a few more things. But. Here, be friends. Be friends, be friends, be friends. You want to be friends with this person, especially if the goal eventually is to potentially marry. I mean, dating is supposed to have a purpose, right? Not just hyper-casual. It might have a casual component at the beginning. If you want to share something, okay. Keep going, got it. But you should be friends, right? How many of you want to be friends with who you date? You want to have a good time, right? You want to be able to, to have a bond, a connection. So be friends. Casey and I hung out all the time. We went to game nights. We had similar. We, had, we ran in the same friend circle. And, uh, and so I already knew who she was before we started dating. That's why I was, I was really interested, right? And so continue to be friends. Okay. And guys, be friends with her friends. And girls, be friends with his friends. I made it a goal. I made it a goal to, to be friends with Casey's friends. And a lot of times when we had movie nights, your roommates were there, her roommates were there. We didn't have to just be alone all the time. And a lot of times Casey came over and we played a lot of board games. I'm a board game guy. How many of you guys like board games? <laughs> like like Ticket to Ride, like Dominion, like, like all these really nerdy things. Casey, Casey could play board games with boys. And we were friends, it was awesome. So get to know their roommates, get to know their friends. And try new things together. Have fun. Go to the park. Go pick apples. <laughs> That's oddly specific. <laughs> try, try, 
And she's like, you gotta try this sushi thing. I'm like, raw fish, mercury, yes, or die. And she's like, no, you're gonna love it. And so now, sushi's my favorite food. Yeah. She's brought me to rock concerts. She's a heavy metal head. So she's brought me to rock concerts. Be friends, be friends. Okay. Now, we're gonna go. We have about five minutes left, so, so stay with me. Sometimes when people get into dating relationships, and especially marriage, we have a word for people who stop having a social life, and they spend every minute, waking minute with each other. We call them hermits. <laughs> hermits. Don't be a hermit. Say, don't be a hermit to your neighbor. Don't be, don't a, be, hermit. be a hermit. Don't vanish off the planet for two years, right? Your bros need you. Your girlfriends need you. Don't stop seeing your friends. See your friends. Prioritize your friends. And we've just seen this. You don't have to text. You don't have to snap 50 times a day. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. Now the next thing is number six. Are we on seven or six? Number six. Yes. Oh, number six. Don't disappear. That was number six, was don't disappear. Don't disappear. Okay, now we're to number seven. Yes. Date with a purpose, number seven. Date with a purpose. And again, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In Bible times, it's really neat. Um, you know, uh, marriages were arranged. Praise God, that's not the case anymore. But it's still the case in a lot of cultures today. But this, this idea of courtship, right, of, of, of having a purpose to your dating relationship. Um, you don't, you know, where am I trying to go with this? The end goal, okay, this is, yes, this is good. Okay, I'm trying to summarize, so stay with me. The end goal of being in a campus ministry is not to get married. <laughs> the end goal of being in a campus ministry is not to get married. It's to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Matthew 28. Now, it's okay to be interested in wanting somebody, right? But there's a difference between need and want. It's okay to want somebody if you feel like you've gotten to that place where your walk with Jesus is strong enough and you're saying, I, I think I'd be ready for that. I, I think I, I want that. But if it's I need that, if I need a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that isn't as healthy. You guys following me? And so the purpose of being camps ministry is not to get married. Yes. Um, okay, something to look for when you're dating somebody. This is a really good freebie. You'll want to remember this. How do they treat their parents? Because how they treat their parents is more most likely how they're going to eventually treat you. It's funny how that generational thing comes down because how they treat their mom or their dad, how she treats her dad, it might be how she eventually treats you. How he treats his mom might be eventually how he treats you. And so just, just a moment for us to think about how do I treat my parents? 
doesn't matter what background you came from. If your parents are never around, maybe you don't even know your father. Maybe you don't even know your mother. But if your mother and father are around and they are present, think about how you treat them. It's something to look for in who you're dating. It tells you something about their character. It tells you something about where they're at in their life. Casey's going to share a few things. Okay, the last thing we want to touch on is just these final two thoughts. Pray for specific things that Jesus wants you to have. Right? Pray for specific boundaries. Pray for specific calls. If you're looking and hoping and dreaming of being married someday, I touched on some of those things. But you can pray even in more of the immediate future. One of my big prayers, just after everything that had happened with all these other guys, was, God, I, I want to be in love with the person I married before we, before we like ever touch, which was a really audacious prayer. And God answered that in a super amazing way. I can honestly say I, was, I knew I was in love with Stephen before he held my hand. Granted, he didn't hold my hand for four months, which is a really long time. It's, oh, it was almost a running joke. I'd be like, here it is. And he we went, just prolonged it because just, it became a joke. It was silly. So I'm like, it's been four months. I actually fell on the ice, and that was the day that he held my hand. Because <laughs> I got a really big cruise. It was a really dramatic story. I was jumping up and down, and I slipped because of why do you jump on the ice? But anyway, right? And I can look back at that season of my life and say, wow, God met me in this really powerful way. I didn't want to say, again, a lot of these were me. I didn't want to say I love you until we were engaged because I think love is a commitment. And, and a choice, not just something you say. And Stephen honored that. Like we, that were, I mean, we accidentally said it a couple of times because it was just so excited. But we waited. <laughs> <laughs> so we waited for the the ongoing. I love you. We actually had our first kiss after we put the ring on my finger when we got engaged. And so just know you can pray for specific things and dream. That doesn't have to be your story. But that was our story because we prayed specifically that God would meet us in that. And so I just want to say you could pray for that. And then the last thing I want to share is just a story. Actually, about dear Kyle for a friend. Does anybody know Nick Schroeder? He's actually gone to be with the Lord now. But he had this really cool, I mean, their life is wild. But Dick Schroeder tells this really cool story. Not cool, really honest story about his life. If you know Dick Schroeder, um, you might know his wife, Joy. But he tells this story about how when he was young, you're young, you're in love. You have the whole world in front of you. So him and Joy got married when they were really young. They had a couple kids. I think they have a son and a daughter. And life was going great. And when their kids were really young, Joy got hit by a car. Uh, the kids were fine, but she ended up becoming a quadriplegic because of what had happened. And Joy's an awesome. She's still very involved in power with Dick with the Beautiful Award, I think, about a year ago. And he tells you, you know, it's a short story, but he tells you this story because he, he, he told us this moment we were talking about marriage and how he's in charge of doing a lot, right? You can imagine your wife and your wife or your spouse is quadriplegic. There's a lot of things you have to do. You don't sign up to get married thinking that that's how your life is going to go. He found himself with two young kids and a wife who was in major rehab and recovery to learn to do things again. And if you know Joy, this was really funny, but he's, he had told us one time that he was kind of begrudgingly doing things. Like, oh, I gotta do all this service. I gotta to this stuff. It was just taking a toll. And his, his wife, Joy, said to him, Dick, if you can't serve me like Jesus wants to serve me, then I don't want you to do it for me. She called her plaintiff wife saying this to her husband, and he said that convicted me and said, man, I want to love my wife like Jesus calls me to love my wife. And the same, Joy would say the same now on the flip, he passed away from cancer. I'm sure it was mutual until the very end. And so asking yourself these final questions, is this a person that I would trust if I died or something happened to raise my kids? Is this a person I would trust, God forbid, to find a new parent if I died for my kids? 
If I die, I won't be a kid. I want to see if I get remarried and find a mom to raise my kids if I'm not there. Will this person remain faithful? God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. Will this person lay down their life for me and my family, for our family? And will this person be obedient to the call of God no matter where he asks us to go and no matter what he asks us to do? Nobody will ever be perfect in our lives. And again, we have to be able to say, am I this person as well? But God has a beautiful plan and marriage is a beautiful gift if God calls you to it. We don't have time to say that singleness is also a beautiful gift. But if God calls you to it, I hope you feel equipped and ready to know that God has a plan in a way. So, yeah, and so uh, you know, we had all these you know thoughts of like, oh, do we create some some thing where we could have like a uh, you know, if you're interested, go to you know, here's here's some people who are single and ready to mingle and you know all this all this kind of stuff. But I'll just put it this way: like we mentioned, focus on being the person that 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 you would want to date, right? And, and let's if we put some of these things in practice, we're going to be healthier. God's going to be just moving in our life. And, and I really hope you're encouraged to take some of these practical things we've shared with you and, and apply them to your life. So can we pray? And we'll, we'll get our lunch. Thank you so much, Jesus, that um, your grace covers us. And we thank you for being with us and always being with us, always loving us. We thank you that you brought us here to Salt 2023 here in Knoxville, Lord. Lord God, we ask for um, your presence when we think about this overwhelming idea of dating, Lord Jesus, we ask for your direction. We ask for your conviction. We ask for your clarity. Lord, would you help us to please you? And Lord, help us to just um, treat it not as something that we're afraid of or, you know, that is, has a stigma attached to it, Lord. But we just pray that you would help us to follow you in all of our relationships including dating and everybody said, amen. 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 Slap your neighbor's hand and uh, let's go get some lunch.